Welcome to the Left of Straight Show with your host, Scott Fullerton, as we discuss everything under the rainbow sun, from LGBT issues to foodies, entertainment to books. Join us as we talk to some of the most interesting leaders and celebrity LGBT guests and allies on the Internet. So grab a cocktail, it's always happy hour somewhere, and enjoy the show. Now, here's your host, Scott Fullerton. Well, howdy, 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 everybody. Welcome to the Left of Straight Show. It is Tuesday, February 12th, 2019. Thanks for tuning in. My name is Scott Fullerton. I am your host for the next couple hours of talk radio for our LGBT community and allies. Hope you're all having a fantastic day. A little chilly here as per usual in Northeast Ohio in winter, but overall doing very good. I want to start by giving a shout-out and thank you to Brandon Carmody. He had me on his GayBC radio show today. Uh, you can all get G-A-Y-B-C radio under Brandon Carmody. I had a nice little half-hour interview with him today talking about the station and the upcoming big gay road trip and all sorts of fun stuff. So thanks and shout-out to Brandon for having me on today. In just a few minutes, I'm going to be interviewing Greg Fox, an amazing artist whose comic book, Kyle's Bed and Breakfast, just celebrated his 20th anniversary in print last year. And then I'll be talking with actor, writer, and activist Craig Hurley in the second hour about his work and his two graphic novels, Daylight Sucks, a vampire book, and Altered States of the Union, a little political sci-fi. So that'll be coming up in just a couple of minutes. If you missed yesterday's show, had a great host chat with Caitlin Bowden, who formed an organization called Badass. It stands for Battling Against Demeaning and Abusive Selfie Sharing. Um, I thought it was very appropriate since we have this whole Jeff Bezos thing in the news being blackmailed over pics of him. Her organization tells you what to do and helps stop if your pictures get um, sent out on the Internet and the tricks to do what you can do to stop it. And uh, we had a nice little talk yesterday. I'm going to bring her back for a full interview on uh, early March. So she was a great uh, co-host for Host Chat yesterday. And then I got to talk to our good buddy, Matthew Olszewski. He's the shirtless violinist over in Seattle, Washington. We had a great catch-up with him. He's got a couple great events coming up, including a new Kickstarter campaign starting February 19th for a new full-length studio album he's putting together called Disney Strings. I love the name of it. And then yesterday we finished up talking to good friends of the show, Ben Bauer and Tondi Tolme. They are creators and stars of the hit web series Adulting that just uh, came out for its second season for the first part. They're going to make this part two. They've already won all sorts of indie um, web series awards for it and nominations already. So it was a great show yesterday. If you've missed them or any show, you can always check them out on your favorite podcast distributors, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts. You can check them all out. If you go to my website, uh, www.leftofstraight.com, that's L-E-F-T-O-F-S-T-R and the number 8.com, and go to, um, it's either a contact page or a favorite page that shows where all of the uh, areas you can follow the podcast are and subscribe. There's links to them all on there, so be sure to check that out. While you're at the website, uh, speaking of that, 
please go ahead and go on the contest page and enter your name for this month's swag bag giveaway. Every month I send out a giveaway swag bag um, from different uh, presents and stuff we got from our guests, different swag that they've sent out for our listeners. Uh, last year we had Justin, or last month, January, Justin went out in Columbus. His went out just the other day. He got some great things from Child of the 70s and from Paul Richmond, an artist, and all sorts of great things. So our, two, our February swag bag will be given away at the end of the month. Go to the website and the contest page, and you can sign up for that. And then also be sure you're following on social media. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at, at Left of Straight, always spelled the same way as the website. On Facebook, the Left of Straight show, or send me over a friend request. Uh, it's Scott Fullerton. And uh, look forward to meeting up with you. So let's see. Let's get into the news a little bit. And in just a couple of minutes, we're going to have our first guest, Greg Fox, on. Let's uh, hit my hot button today. Oh, man, guys. The Virginias are in a hot mess. Of course, we have the Democrats in trouble in Virginia itself with uh, a governor uh, going in blackface, an attorney general also in blackface, and a lieutenant governor under suspicion of sexual assault. Very uh, unhealthy and not looking good for the Democrats. Now we have West Virginia, a Republican over there, Eric Porterfield, is saying he would drown his own children if they were gay. Uh, he went on the floor the other day. Um, they were talking about legislation to um, provide equality for LGBT protections for the state of West Virginia. He went on the floor to equate LGBT with KKK and hate groups and all this other stuff and was just uh, pretty radical about it got a lot of blowback from his fellow legislators and, of course, the public. And then he went on a show and doubled down and said if his kids were gay, he would drown them. He said, if my daughter was gay, I would paint her nails and take her for a manicure and pedicure and put her in a pretty dress and then hope she could swim. My son, I would take him out hunting and do this, and then I hope he could swim. Um, Sad, sad stuff coming from the Virginias, guys. Kind of pissed me off a little bit, to be honest with you. What else in the news? Um, anyone following the Chris Pratt, Ellen Page back and forth going on? Chris Pratt, of course, star of uh, Community on TV and NBC, the Jurassic Park movies, a bunch of other things. He um, has been called out by Ellen Page and others for being a proud member of this church that he goes to. It's called Hillsong Church in California. A lot of celebrities go there. But it was founded in Florida by a pastor there that is very anti-LGBT. The church itself um, was part of conversion therapy for a long time, uh, preached conversion therapy. They did change their views on that back in 2011. But they are still saying that LGBT, there is something morally wrong with it. They will not let anyone in leadership for it. And Chris Pratt is a, a proud member of that church, according to him, along with a couple other celebrities that are as well. I think Selena Gomez and a couple other people. Um, but uh, Ellen Page, bless her little gay heart, is calling him out on it. Um, so they're having a little Twitter feud right now about that. I thought that was interesting. 
We've been talking about Disney the last couple weeks and Disney um, sponsoring its first gay pride event at Paris Disneyland this summer. Uh, Disney made another huge LGBT milestone this past Friday on uh, one of their television series. It's called Andy Mack. It's on the Disney Young Adult uh, channel. or uh, It's a young adult series called Andy Mack. And... Uh, actor Joshua Rush's character is named Cyrus Goodman. He's a 13-year-old on the series, and he came out publicly on the series on Friday uh, to his best friend on the show, um, who just, by the way, happens to be playing Billy Batson in the new Shazam movie coming out this week. You know, I'm a superhero buff. But, yeah, so big way to go on Disney for another big LGBT movement uh, in the past couple months here. So very excited about that. Uh, I have been talking um, last Tuesday, as I said, every Tuesday this month. It is LGBT History Month in the UK, and it's Black History Month here in the United States. And I wanted to talk about a couple uh, LGBT black icons or Americans that have done great work in the country. Um, You might know there's a little controversy blow up the other day California was the first state of the 50 states to um, make it mandatory for LGBT history to be taught in the schools, public schools there. And just a couple of weeks ago, New Jersey uh, also became the second state to mandatory, make mandatory LGBT history as part of it, which, of course, I think is a fantastic thing. But uh, it is Black History Month, so I did want to talk about a couple of LGBT icons in uh, the Black History Movement. Uh, I talked last week about uh, Bayard Rustin and Audre Lorde. This week I want to talk about James Baldwin. He's an American playwright, essayist, novelist, a social critic. Uh, He always spoke on race and class and sex of the black man living in a white America. He also expanded on being gay and bisexual years prior to they ever started talking about sexual equality. So um, if you have a chance, look up uh, definitely James Baldwin and also Angela Davis. She was a black political activist, a scholar, and author. She was leader of the U.S. Communist Party in the 60s, considered very radical at the time, and of course, and had close ties to the Black Panther movement. Her interests included prisoner rights, and she founded the Critical Resistance, an organization working to abolish the prison industrial complex. So both proud of their LGBT heritage, both hard workers. We have a lot of stuff being accused of communism these days, uh, socialism. It's very um, interesting to be discussing this these days in politics. We don't do that too much on this show, but be sure to tune in tomorrow and every Wednesday at 2 o'clock Pacific and 5 o'clock Eastern with our new series, Standing on My Soapbox. And I get to announce to you today, I have a permanent co-host coming on board, Standing on My Soapbox, starting tomorrow and every Wednesday. It's actually our second guest today, Mr. Craig Hurley. He's an actor, an activist, an author, and he will be joining me every Wednesday to rant, rave, and review the week in politics. LGBT news, uh, current events, and pop culture. So be sure to tune into that. So excited about that. Uh, let's go ahead and get ready to get into our guest. Uh, we have our first guest on the line, I believe. I see him in the studio here. So we're going to take a quick break. 
play a little bit of our buddy Jay Knight, Time of Our Lives. When we come back, I'm going to be talking to uh, comic artist and illustrator Greg Fox. You're listening to the Left of Straight show right here on Blog Talk Radio. We have no time to stand and stare. It was just June, December's here. I don't recall just where I've been, thinking of romancing. from the Kyle's Bed and Breakfast comic series, which first appeared in Genre Magazine back in 1998, just celebrated its 20th anniversary last year. Starting in an early age, he started getting published in his high school paper, went on to work for such publications as Revolutionary Comics, Triumph Comics, Marvel and DC, and more. His work was a finalist for the Lambda Literary Awards in 2005 for Best Humor Book, and he was the grand prize winner 
of the Life Without Fair Courts cartoon contest in 2007, prone by Lambda Legal. Y'all know that I'm a huge fan of comics in general, so I'm excited to have him on the show for the very first time, Mr. Greg Fox. Greg, how you doing, buddy? I'm good. How are you, Scott? I am doing fantastic. It's uh, amazing to meet you. I want to give a big shout-out to our buddy Tony Guadagnino, who kind of put me in touch and everything. Uh, so glad to have you on oh, the show, yeah. my friend. Oh, thank you. And, yeah, shout-out to Tony, who's my like guardian angel in the <laughs> in the world of he, media. He is yeah. that for many many people indeed. Uh, well, we don't usually do this, but we actually have a caller already on the on the line. So I'm going to go ahead and hold off on my questions and bring a caller in. This is Phil in Detroit. Phil, welcome. You're on the air. Uh, you're here to talk to Greg. Hey, Greg. Hey, How are you doing, sir? I'm good. How are you, Phil? <laughs> I'm doing great. So I saw online today that you're going to be on uh, on this radio interview. So I literally put it in my calendar and just like an hour ahead of time to make sure that I clear my schedule and make sure I was around to call in. Just to say how important you are and that you've been doing great work for so long. And every Tuesday when your uh, comment comes up, I get a person in the morning. And it just, my day doesn't begin until I actually the latest installment of Kyle's Bed and Breakfast. So, I mean, your artwork just gets better and better year after year. And just don't oh. stop what you're doing because I love what you're doing. It's a long oh, thank you so much. Thank you. And, you know, I just want to say, Phil, this is Phil. He's a talented uh singer performer himself and he we've you know we've spoken before on he's emailed me about <laughs> various episodes and we even did a little tie-in in the comic strip with this. so this is so nice to hear this is the first time we've actually ever spoken in person so it's nice to, yeah, to, it uh, is. <laughs> yeah <laughs> nice to finally connect yeah yeah thank you not a problem, not a problem. and for the very well, kind words thank you oh sure if I ever make out to these calls i've got to definitely Take you out. We can get get sloshed together and stuff until like more days. <laughs> great. That's great. That would be great. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, so Phil, thanks for calling in. in the nice words. And if you're part of the entertainment industry, shoot me out an email. Maybe we can get you on the show sometime soon. That'd be awesome. Oh, that would be great. Oh, awesome. Didn't call for that, but yeah, thank you. Uh, <laughs> but hey, let me let you get back to it, Greg. Keep up the great work. You are like one of my favorites, as you know. And life just would be have a hole in it if you weren't around. So thank you. Oh my gosh, thank you. That is so kind. Thank you, Phil. I, I really appreciate that. That's so sweet. No problem. Okay, thank you. Talk to you guys later. Bye. Have a great day, Phil. Bye. Thank you. Well, that's a nice way to start the show, huh? Yeah. Like wow, that. that was great. Yeah, like I said, he's emailed me about you know he's one of my people who really loves you know. <laughs> They offer their commentary on various episodes, and he's he's one of those people I always can rely on to like get some great feedback when I, you know, publish an episode. But that's the first time I've ever actually spoken, so that's really nice. Yeah. Very cool. I like it. Well, let's go ahead and start from the beginning here. I was like first time guests. My listeners get a little familiar with them. Talk about where did you grow up? What kind of a kid were you? And what got you started in drawing? Were you always a doodler, or did you have any formal education in it? You know, I was always, like, drawing as a kid. I, I mean, I was I grew up here on Long Island in New York, which is, people aren't familiar with it. It's um, it's it's not New York City. It's, it's more suburban. <laughs> you know, it's about an, hour, about an hour from New York City. So it's kind of nice, and you have access to New York City, but you're not in the city. It's like, it's very, it's more of like um. I was going to say maritime, not really. It's like very water, like we're surrounded by the ocean and the water. So it's like, it's very, 
you know, um, suburban, but close to the city if you need to go there. But, you know, I grew up in a typical suburban neighborhood. I wasn't like really, you know, a jock kid or anything. So I was very much more into my books and reading. And um, and when I discovered comic books, that was just like it for me. I was like, oh, okay, this is something <laughs> I really would like to do. And I started drawing my own comics and, you know, trying to get them. I mean, I wasn't necessarily so focused on getting them published initially. I just wanted to draw them for my own enjoyment. But then I just eventually through high school and into college, I was always getting comic strips into like the school papers and stuff like that and just refining my craft. I mean, my early stuff probably wasn't so great, but at least I was learning how to do it. And um, and yeah, that was how I Very kind of cool. started doing. Yeah. So you've always been self-taught then you never took any classes. That's amazing. There's no, well, I did, work. I did take, thank you. Thank you. But I, I did take a lot of art classes, but it, it wasn't, there just didn't seem to be a lot of uh, comic instruction. It was kind of, now there gotcha. is a lot more emphasis on comics are taken a lot more seriously and there's college classes and even schools devoted just to comics, but that just didn't exist back when I was a kid. It was like, you know, this, we're talking like the 70s, 1980s. It was just just starting right. to come into yeah, like a consciousness. Yeah, I think when anime exploded and everything, it did kind of catch on quite a bit, but it, it took a, a, a slow road, that's for sure. Yeah, I um, mean, I mean, no, comics were there, but it just wasn't like respected as an art form, and it wasn't like um, taught in schools. It was like I know when I was in right. college, there was no college courses on comics. It was, like, I mean, in the 1980s, it was just kind of like, oh, comics are something you just did, you know, taught yourself or you know whatever. <laughs> gotcha, so. gotcha. And then you're an out proud part of the community. Talk about when did you first come out to yourself and when did you first come out to others? Um, well, to myself, that's that's an interesting question. I always kind of knew, I think, this, when I was real young. I mean, just I knew, but it wasn't really uh, – it didn't really – feel safe to me at the time, especially because I ended up going to college in upstate New York, which was, a, um, it was a great college. I loved it there and everything, but it didn't really feel like a very openly gay environment. So, <laughs> so I, I, I was definitely towards the end of like my time there is when I started coming out to friends and stuff, but it, I wasn't really fully out until I would say I got home from college and was like living back on Long Island. And then, and then at that point I was involved in like rock bands and stuff. I was playing guitar. So I was kind of like around like a lot of musicians and just, it just seemed like a more open environment at that point. That's when I started really feeling free to express who I was. And yeah. Well, I'm glad you touched on that because I thought that was kind of fascinating that comics wasn't your first career. You actually tried to be a rock musician for a while. Talk about your love of music and how that was playing. You play in Long Island. You actually go out to New York or all over the place. Yeah, um, you know, when I was in college, like I, I said, I had been doing comic strips and stuff in high school and into college, and I was I was the cartoonist for my college newspaper, and I was very into it, but at the same time, I started playing, actually, I started playing drums and then guitar, just because I was hanging out with all these musician people, and it wasn't, and I mean, this is like, you know, punk rock, which was kind of the attitude, it's just like, you don't really have to be formally... <laughs> trained you could just kind of play and i i had already taken piano lessons when i was a kid so i knew basics of music so i started playing drums then i taught myself guitar and i was playing in these bands and it was really fun and i thought well if i don't do this now it's not like you know 
I'm going to come back to this when I'm 40 and be like, oh, now I'm going to do my rock band thing. <laughs> I was like, I might as well give it a few years now and see if something happens with it. So I did. I mean, in, at the end of college and then after I graduated for a couple of years, I was playing in a lot of bands around around Long Island in New York and in the area. And it was it was a lot of fun, but I started really to realize that the comics was was where I wanted to be, like artistically, because doing comics is so... Like when you're in a band, you're just like constantly, it's so democratic. Everybody's like, you have to get five different people to agree on their opinions on everything <laughs> and just to move right. anything forward. Whereas like when I'm doing my comics, it's like I'm the one, you know, I, don't, <laughs> I have to have like a conversation right. with five different people about what I'm going to do next and this and that and, and logistics and all that. And so it just, it worked better for me doing comics. <laughs> and so I went back to it. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, I was working in a music store at the time too. That was my day job. I was um, a guitar salesman in a music store. So I kind of, someone I knew there um, got a job at a magazine, a music magazine, and he knew I did comics on the side. He's like, would you want to do a comic strip in this magazine? I was like, well, yeah, that'd be cool. And that was kind of my entry back into comics. But it was very much involved with rock and roll because it was a music magazine. And then that led to some other comic book jobs, which were also kind of rock rock and roll comics. And um, yeah, I mean, so it was all kind of tied together, the music and the comics in, in, um, <laughs> in my artwork. So That's cool. awesome. I love that. Well, let's go okay. into some of the other, before we go full board into comics, um, I want to talk about um, your Sugar Maple Press. You actually edited a book of nature poems. What was your interest in that? And talk about oh, the- <laughs> um, your... Your Sugar Maple Press for a second. Yeah, that was kind of, it's such a crazy way that book came out. <laughs> um, when I was first doing like my books for the Kyle's Bed and Breakfast, the comic strip, um, I had, through this publishing company, I had access to do some other titles if I wanted to, just on the side. And for me, I, I wasn't sure what I was going to do, so I was going to do a book of figure drawings of uh, one of the characters in the comic strip because I've never really done like the comics is a certain style of drawing, but I've also done this very classical figure drawing style thing. And believe right. me, this is leading to the, this is leading to the poetry. Believe me. <laughs> um, <laughs> so what happened was um, there was a character in the comic strip that sort of, there was a storyline where he posed for some figure drawings. And I thought, well, you know, I could, and I got a lot of emails from people, we're asking, are you going to do a book of the drawings? Or Actually, what happened was he posed for photos. And I got all these emails asking me, are you going to do a book of the photos? And I thought, well, he's not a real character, so I can't really do photos, but I do these figure drawings. I could maybe do a book of them. And I, in the comic strip, the story was that it was a book of poetry that he had posed for these photos for, and they kind of mixed them his photos in with the poetry. Anyway, I was like, I thought, well, I could maybe do a book of poetry with the drawings of this guy. And then as I started putting the book together, I realized, you know what, I'm just going to do a separate book of the figure drawings. But I had all these, this poetry book half put together. <laughs> so I, so like, you know, it's an anthology. It's in my own poetry. It's, it's other people's poetry. So I ended up publishing this book of poetry just as a result of that convoluted process. <laughs> so I love that. That, that is kind of cool. <laughs> I love how A yeah. equals B divided by D, and that's kind of fun. I like how that stuff works out together. That's very cool. Yeah. And then I was fascinated that you actually wrote a book on figure skating, the figure skating handbook 
per se, yeah, uh, which yeah. has all these figure skaters from 1891 until like when it was published in 2017. Talk about your love of figure yeah. skating and what brought this book around. That's kind of funny. Yeah, well, that was another thing. Like I said, I with this publishing company, I had the, the opportunity to do some books on the side. And so for me, it was like, well, what do I really like? You know, because if you're going to do a book on a subject, <laughs> aside from your main thing, which is comics, like it should be a subject that I really know about and that I really love and I'm passionate about. And I've just always loved figure skating. It's something I've been a fan of since I was a little kid and um, always watch the Olympics and not just the Olympics, but even, you know, the annual competitions that there's so many of them, the U S nationals and the European nationals and the four continents and all these things. So I, I figured, well, I know about this, but there's never really been a book just of all the um, kind of like a source book of all the medal winners from all the different competitions through the years. So I thought, well, this would be a fun little side project I can do on the side while I'm not doing comics. I thought, you know, just take a few months to put it together. Well, it took, it took about three years of like just on the side <laughs> working on this book, but it eventually did come together. And it wasn't, it wasn't one of these things where I was like constantly, you know, because I, I took the time with it. It just, it, it just evolved very naturally. And I ended up putting in book, writing a history of figure skating in it also. But again, it wasn't one of these projects where I just sat down and was like, oh, okay, I'm going to spend a month doing this solid and work on it. It was really more of a side project over the years. But when it finally came together, because I took that time on it, it just really came out to be a really great book. I mean, just from my own, I mean, people I've shown it to who are in figure skating are really like, were impressed with it because it, I really did cover all the bases. I didn't just do, you know, the Olympics. I covered all the various competitions and um gave a good historical overview of the sport so it's really nice and it's out there for people who are looking for it it's on amazon so yeah that was fun that's awesome <laughs> did you interview anyone for it or did you just do total expository no i didn't interview on it although i did actually there's a couple of people um in the figure skating um there's there's one guy ryan adams who's like um he's like the expert in figure skating. So I definitely went to, he was very helpful to me and just pointing me to different sources. Cause the problem when, when you're doing research on figure skating, cause it goes back to the 1890s, all these competitions, there's the information back in the early days is not as complete. So you're kind of like <laughs> trying to find gotcha. accurate data on all these various competitions. And it's just, it's not, you know, that stuff is pre-internet. It's not really all out there. So he was able to point me to some good areas that were, um, you know, would had the most accurate information available. So that was very helpful to me. Yeah. Right. Well, that'd be a and fun follow-up though. We have, of course, Adam Rapon, who was so popular yesterday. We have Rudy Galindo. We got Brian Boitano. That'd be fun to do an interview book to kind of follow up. That would be awesome. Yeah. I would, I would read that. I mean, <laughs> well, yeah, certainly. Yeah. And I'm sorry, that guy's, his name was Ryan Stevens. I said Ryan Adams. That's His name is Ryan Stevens. The one that, but yeah, I, I would love to like do some sort of, just on the gay figure skater, the LGBTQ, because it's not just, um, I mean, now there's, I don't know if you saw in the most recent, um, I guess it was the U.S. Nationals, there's a gay male and a female lesbian um, Paris couple that are skating together now. I which saw is, that's that, never yeah, I read been. the article the other day. Interesting, okay, yeah. very interesting. Yeah, I, that's great. I mean, they're <laughs> they and they're they're just starting out. I mean, I mean, they've been around for a little while, but they're not, you know, one of the senior pairs. So they're they're just they're 
like an up and coming like pair that are I think are going to be really right. worthy in the next few years. So that that's kind of cool. That's a, you know, before that, I mean, if just recently, it wasn't really cool. Even though there were so many gay people in the sport, it wasn't really like a something that you would see. You know, that many out skaters. They just didn't want to talk about it. It wasn't really exactly, encouraged. Right. So, so, but like with everything, it's changing. <laughs> Yay, we're happy about that. That's, yeah. well, that's a good place to take a break. Let's go ahead and take a quick song break here. When we come back, we're going to delve into the comics for the last half hour of the okay. interview here. Guys, we are talking to Greg Fox, illustrator and comic book impresario here. Listen to Left of Straight Show. We're going to take a quick break with another Jay Knight song. This is Hotter Than the Sun. You're listening to the Left of Straight Show right here on Blog Talk Radio. Reflect your light It's the only reason that I live We've been running from the moment That we realized we were smoking A fire that burns deep through This is the storm 
All righty, we are back. That again is Jay Knight, hotter than the sun. As we're talking today with uh, Greg Fox, he's a comic book creator, illustrator, does the whole nine yards. We talked about some of your earlier work, Greg. I really want to get into the comics because I am a comic fiend and junkie. I was a huge collector when I was a kid. I love all the superhero uh. movies now. Um, now, tell me about your face, your first major drawing contract. Who was that for and what were you drawing first? Was your college bed and breakfast the first one or were you getting paid for your college stuff? Uh, no. Well, Kyle's came later, but it was when I started, like I said, I was, you know, kind of a college or high school and college comic strip artist. And then um, what happened was, I, like I said, I took a couple of years after college to play in rock bands, but I eventually got like this rock and roll comic strip in a music magazine. And that led to me um, because I, I didn't really want to, it seemed like I was always getting these comic strip kind of jobs, but <laughs> I really wanted to do like Marvel, DC, superhero kind of stuff. That was like my stuff that I grew up with and that was what I really wanted to do. Um, so right. I was, but I would take these, you know, if someone offered me a job to do a comic strip, I would like that. Sure. You know, I'll do it. Um, <laughs> so uh, anyway, I, I, that time I was doing this, my first like real paid job was doing this. It was called manic music. It was about these people working in a music stores, like rock and roll in the late eighties, early nineties. And um, that led to me getting a job doing a comic book. Cause at the time there was this something called rock and roll comics. It was like a biography comic. They would do a different rock band every issue. And um, I had seen okay. them and I wasn't really that impressed with it. I thought it was just kind of, the, I don't know, sort of like a low budget, um, you know, attempt at stuff. I mean, I was so focused on DC and Marvel. I didn't really look at other stuff. So anyway, one of my friends who was a comic book guy, he was like, he got a job writing a script for their uh, Kiss issue. They were doing like a biography of Kiss. And he asked me if I wanted to just submit some samples. I was like, okay. I mean, because I knew I could draw like, that's the one thing I had going for me at that point was that I could draw like music stuff, like guitars and everything and make it look real. <laughs> Cause sometimes when you would see like a rock band <laughs> in a comic book, it would be like the guitars wouldn't look like, you know, accurate. It would look like someone didn't know what they were drawing, but I knew like music equipment. Right. So I drew this really cool sample page for the kiss book and the publishers who were in California, they really liked it. So I got the job. And after that, I worked for them for about three or four years, just doing different rock bands every year, different or not every year, every month. Oh, nice. The different, um, yeah, I did all these different rock band biographies, and it was cool. But at the same time, I was like, this isn't really, it wasn't quite advancing what I wanted to do. I wanted to do you know, superhero stuff, but um, I stuck with it. And then I did baseball biography comics for about a year for the same company. They were like expanding into sports comics, so they were like. Because I was starting to get, a, after about two or two and a half years, I was like, you know, enough of the rock band stuff. I mean, I like it, but it's <laughs> it's not not any closer to drawing the X-Men. So they were like, well, we're going to do baseball comics now. Why don't you try that? It'll be, you know, at least give you something different. So I was like, okay, I'll do that. So I did that for about a year. And that was just driving me a little nuts because I wasn't, you know, drawing baseball comics. It's just not really, <laughs> it wasn't really what I wanted to do with my life. But uh, that's, gotcha. uh, that's was, and I mean, I've told this story a lot of times before. That was where I really came up with the idea for Kyle's Bed and Breakfast because I started just, you know, fantasizing about what if there was a gay baseball player 
and how, what would his life be like at this time? And I started writing these little comic strips on the side. I didn't really think I was going to do anything with it, but I just, I it was a way, I guess, to like keep myself from going insane while drawing this baseball comic, which wasn't really that interesting. <laughs> and um, that led to me starting to write these Kyle's Bed and Breakfast like strips, um, nice. just because I gave the baseball player like a, you know, a a cast of characters around him and it evolved into this Kyle's thing, but I still didn't, I still wanted to do superhero stuff. So I kept going, like I just, that was just like something I did on the side. I didn't think I'd do anything with it. So I started doing, um, let's see, after the baseball thing, I got a job doing a book called Dr. Chaos, where that was a triumphant comics for about a year. And then, um, they went out of business after about a year. And then then I got a job with Marvel, just doing like a sports comic. It was like this thing, this NFL quarterback club thing. It was inane. It wasn't really I wanted to do for Marvel, but they knew I had done sports stuff, so they hired me for that. But then at that oh, point, man. that's where it, that was like the five-year point for me where I was just like, you know, I'm not really getting any further with this. And I probably, I mean, I was just starting to break into Marvel at that point, but I was like, something just hit me with the the Kyle's bed and breakfast thing. I was like, this is the best stuff I've ever, because I had started drawing them up at that point. I was like, I really like this. <laughs> and I was tired of like doing other people's scripts and everything. And, and I, I just couldn't see myself, you know, even if I had gotten like the X-Men job or something, it just wasn't really what I wanted to do anymore. So I, um, I started sending out the Kyle's things, you know, to see if any newspapers would pick them up. And, um, I That's love what that. Happened. That is awesome. Yeah. And you have a passion project for superheroes. You have your work that flight ring, which I absolutely love. Talk about that for oh, a brief second. Yeah, well, you know, I, the Legion of Superheroes, that's, I mean, the DC comic, that, that was always my favorite book growing up. That was like the thing I wanted to do if I could have had any dream project. So like I said, I, I kind of put the superhero stuff aside when I started doing the Kyle's Bed and Breakfast thing, but uh in the back of my mind, I was always like, you know, it would be kind of fun just <laughs> just to do some little sample pages of the Legion of Superheroes. So just in the past year, I just had this idea, you know, I'm just going to put these out. They're just kind of parodies. They're not, it's not like a, you know, official by DC or anything, but it's a, it's like a parody of the Legion of Superheroes. And I, I've right. done five episodes so far and a few other little one panel things, but I, every couple of months I'll put one out and I've, they got their own website now. Cause I was like getting all these like questions like, you know, what are you going to, and people were asking me like, you should do the, the Legion of superheroes. You should draw them. You know, you should like, as if I have the power to like call up DC comics and say, <laughs> Oh, you know, I'd well, like to do the Legion of gorgeous, superheroes. Now. And I love your, I love your costume direction. <laughs> the costume direction <laughs> is amazing. <laughs> we're seeing a little more skin than we do. Now, do you oh, watch the CW superhero shows at all? Because the Legion's kind of drifted into Supergirl over there, and they even yeah. have Brainy as a character on there. Yeah. Do you watch yeah, I have been watching that. Oh, I do. Yeah, I do watch them. And, um, yeah, I'm glad that they have the characters on there. But, like, I've been telling people, I think that's like an alternate universe Legion. It's <laughs> That's not the Legion that, yeah, you know, definitely. Uh, I grew up with. Or right. I mean, it's not the Legion that anybody who reads the comics would recognize. It's a different kind exactly, of Legion. And that's yeah. cool. I accept that that's for what it is, but I know a lot of people are angry kind of about this, the CW network like version of the Legion. 
I mean, but like all those shows, they're not DC Universe. It's not the yeah. They to call be, it like, the Arrowverse. The I mean, it's totally different. They have it part of Arrowverse and not DC. Hundred yeah. percent right on that. Any um, LGBT comics that you uh, comic superheroes that you like in particular, um, or any that you wish would kind of go down the line? I know there's not many besides Alpha Flight and a couple. They're starting to come out of the woodwork yeah. a little bit. But any of your well, favorites you know, in superhero wise? I mean, I got to say, when that when North Star first came out in um, Alpha Flight, that was back in the early 90s. That's when I was like working in comics at the time, and to me, that was like, whoa. I mean, that that was really right. like, at the time. I I started thinking about maybe I could do the gay character, you know, some game, <laughs> because I just I, there just wasn't even talk of it. You know what? How out of the blue that was. I was me being like a gay comics artist. I hadn't even like thought about it. Oh, maybe I could do gay characters up until that happened until I saw, Oh wow. This is really powerful to see a gay character. So that North star character right. was always very like influential to me. Although at the time it was, it was absurd. <laughs> the reaction to that was so absurd because they, he came out in this one issue and then Marvel was like, Oh, um, yeah, we're just not, never going to mention that again for like another 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, that's how it was like, you know, it was the reaction. Yeah, was how so many years crazy. did it take for him to go back to that storyline? Uh, quite a bit. <laughs> yeah, you know, but I mean, it was the times. It was the different times. So. Sure. Yeah. Well, let's and, go um, into Kyle's Bed and Breakfast. We only have about 15 minutes left here, so I want to talk about it. It started, like you said, back in 1998. So you had a 20-year anniversary. Can you believe it's been 20 years? I this? can't believe. No, and I can't talk believe it. Actually, talk about that uh, first starting out with genre. How did you approach them? Did they approach you? How did that come about? Um, yeah, I my focus. It's so weird when you talk about 20 years ago, which is 1998. My my idea was. Um, Oops, you guys! I lost him. I might have accidentally cut him off. Give us one second. We're going to go ahead and get him back on the line. Um, I'm not sure if I hit a button or if he hit a button. So we're going to have Greg call right back in here in just a second because we're hearing a good story about the 20th anniversary. And now we're in 21st year of this great comic book, Kyle's Bed and Breakfast. There he goes. All right. I have I have fat fingers today. I think I might have hit a button on you, Greg. Sorry about that. Oh, okay. That. You're back <laughs> yeah, live. Yeah, no, all of a sudden I hear this thing. Thank you for listening. Goodbye. I was like, what? <laughs> okay. I think it was my little chubby fingers that I hit something on my computer. I apologize for that. You're oh, right, okay. little saying about 1998, you're, pro, you're uh, getting ready to go to genre. Talk about that story. Yeah, I mean, I was so focused at that point on the magazines and newspapers. I mean, the internet was the internet was a it was happening then, but it was really the beginning. That was like AOL time. You know? So I was very much right. focused on, on newspapers and magazines. And like, maybe I would like the way I say it, it's like, I was like 80% focused on like getting this stuff into different magazine and newspapers and maybe 20% on the internet. Whereas today it's kind of reversed. Now it's like, I think it's 80% internet and like 20% on the ma- magazines and newspapers. Gotcha, still. Right. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, Back then, I just started sending out samples to all of these because there's so many regional gay magazines out there. The, you know, there's there, one in here in Long Island was Out Outlook Long Island. I'm sure you have. Oh, there is one in Ohio. It was Outlook Ohio, I think. Is that there is Outlook recognize. Ohio for a while? That is unfortunately folded. But we have a couple new ones, Prism and um, yeah, 
Oh, another one by True Media, and I forget what it's called, but yeah, we know. Oh, yeah, Outlook, Outlook Ohio was running it for a while. Oh, but then the didn't the publisher get arrested, or it was some strange. There was story. a big scandal. We won't even go into yeah, that but, here, but yes, you're right. Yeah, Outlook right. Ohio had myriad scandals. You were correct. Sir. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, they were publishing my comics, and then one day it was like suddenly, like I was getting these, like I was sending like the strips by email. I was like, this address doesn't exist anymore. I was like, what happened? Because, <laughs> you know, I'm here. Oh I'm like, oh, I didn't know what happened. It's like, oh, the newspaper went out of business two months ago. Didn't you know? It's like, no. But the, uh, anyway, so what I, I was sending out my comic strip to all those kinds of newspapers. And there wasn't really getting a lot of reaction. But because um, I'm sure they get samples from all kinds of people who want them. But then Genre Magazine at the time was a national gay magazine, which was very... Um, it was a cool magazine. I really liked it. I didn't really think they would want to publish it. really was, it. yeah. But they, they liked it. The editor, he like called me up the day after he got it. He's like, I want to publish it. He's like, I don't do comics. And they weren't going to run it regularly. But they just want to do a few issues just to give me like a a platform for it. It was like a sort of an introduction to the country. And that really changed things. After it was published in there, then a lot of these regional magazines were like, oh, we saw this in genre. Yeah, we'd like to run this. So then that was kind of cool. That that kind of launched it. Into awesome. the, yeah. So then I started syndicating it really to all these different magazines across the country. And, and um, it picked up from there. That's amazing. You started writing them in black and white back then, right? Yeah, because most of these magazines, they were. I I was gonna do it. In, in fact, in genre magazines, the first few issues were in color, and but then all of these magazines, the smaller ones, were like, we can only do black and white, so don't do it in color. I was like, okay, that's cool. And then after about five or six years, they were like, all started coming to me like, when are you gonna start doing it in color? And I was like, oh, <laughs> I didn't think I could. But I guess technology has gotten more, you know, cheaper to do the color. So yeah, so about 2007 is when it went to color, and then uh, that's that was great. But at the same time, it was like, oh, this, it adds on like about almost twice the amount of work doing it in color. So, but it's cool. It's worth I it. I bet, it's sure. Cool. Yeah, it looks. And then talk about anthologies. You kind of put these together in their own books. You have a couple of books where you've combined these series. Talk about those books. Yeah, well, you know, I got my first came out around 2004 because at that point it, it was about five years worth of strips in it then and um then i've done since then every few years i do a diff- there's been five collections now of the strip and um working on the sixth one now the good thing about doing the comics of every two weeks is you know it forces me <laughs> it's not like i'm just sitting there you know like after every few years i have to do all these strips it's like i because i do do a new episode every two weeks that people see um out there when it's released like i have this backlog of strips building up so uh yeah so about every three years i do a book now and it's um working on book number six now awesome now in comics there's usually like you see so many different attributions you have story people and illustrators and colorists you do it all is that a lot more fun for you to create a whole strip as opposed to working with on parts of it yeah you know it is it is cool. It's definitely, I, I prefer it that way. Cause I know in the comic book industry, definitely when I was doing comic books, um, it was, I wasn't always able to ink my own stuff and I definitely wasn't able to color it myself or letter it. And, um, cause you, there's just, you don't have the time when you're doing a book a month, it's like 32 pages or 22 pages a month, depending on the size of the book. And you just can't possibly do all of that. But being that I'm right. doing like one 
episode every two weeks. I can do all this stuff, but it is involving. I mean, if if there was one thing I could turn over to other people, it would probably be the coloring because the coloring can be so um, time intensive. I mean, it's really it adds uh, like gotcha, yeah. about eight to twelve hours onto every episode just of coloring. So if I could turn that over to, <laughs> I mean, I like coloring; it's enjoyable, but just as far as time wise, you know. It just takes up a lot of time. So, yeah, I mean, sure. that, that's something I could definitely that. Yeah. I also love how you engage with your readers. I mean, you have your character of the year. Um, what are your fans like? And since it is such a solitary art writing your comics, does it help to be more social in your actions when you hear from all these fans? Or talk about that for a second. Oh, yeah, it's been great having, like, the feedback I get from the readers and stuff and on the Patreon page and all that. I be, it's really nice to have, like, a, just, you know, a dialogue with, with readers about stuff. And then when I do these conventions to the Comic-Cons, I really get to meet people and hear their reactions to characters. So it definitely, I wouldn't say, it like, you know, it sways me in how I'm going to do stories, but it, it I take it into consideration as far as... um because there are certain characters that people really like and then certain characters they don't like and then certain characters they really, they love to hate or, you know, there's some <laughs> characters, you know, just like the evil characters who can be kind of real fun to, you know, read about anyway. So it, it's definitely educational to me to hear what people are thinking about different characters and it's useful to get those, that input from readers. And it's always sometimes surprising because I'll, sometimes I'll be writing a storyline and I wouldn't know until it's out there, people are reading it, where it's like, oh, okay, maybe that didn't quite work out the way I thought it would or, would, or didn't go over the way I thought it would. But then other times, um, it's kind of like, yeah, I had a feeling this was, you know, this character would really catch on with people. I mean, a lot of times I'll just... That was actually my next question. I was going to wonder yeah. what was the most surprising thing you've heard or received from a fan. Oh, as far as somebody's like sending me something... <laughs> <laughs> well, in general, I mean, kind of what you just said, um, what's one of the most surprising character reactions maybe? Or if you've got something that's that's kind of funny, I will hear that story. I am a nosy person. But <laughs> no, it's kind, of, kind of however you want to answer it. We'll go from there. <laughs> yeah, that's inter- surprising. Yeah. Um, wow. How Because I've gotten some really nice things. I mean, I someone sent me one time just an envelope full of, because like, we were talking about the Legion of Superheroes. This guy was getting rid of his Legion of Superheroes collection, so he sent me like this big envelope full of all these classic Legion comic books, which was like, wow. Oh, wow. That's cool. <laughs> that was really nice. Yeah, that was kind of cool. Some of them I had already, but then I, <laughs> but then a lot of them I didn't. So I was <laughs> like, oh, that that was really nice, you know? And, uh, so people, nice. yeah, they know I like the Legion, so it's like any, any Legion kind of stuff, people tend to think of me, I think. <laughs> Very um, cool. Yeah. Now and, you've worked producers over the years to try to get the characters from the page to the screen. Uh, how difficult yeah. of a process has that been, and how's that going? Well, it's been it's kind of frustrating because I mean, in the first few people, I, I and this goes back years now. I mean, the first couple of people who talked to me were in California, which is not bad. I mean, because I go to California. Most of my family lives in California, actually, even though I'm from the East Coast. So I'm, it's not like I'm against working with people in California. It, it'd be fine, but it's just kind of frustrating. I had these, like, the first guy for about a year, back and forth, all these phone calls and emails and everything about how he was trying to, he was an agent trying to sell the concept around Los Angeles and Hollywood. Um, 
but it just didn't lead anywhere, and it was kind of frustrating. And then the second, there was another person, again, a few years later, who was trying to get something off the ground, and nothing happened. And so it just, <laughs> it's frustrating because there's such a amount of conversation and, like I said, emails and everything going back and forth. And when it doesn't lead anywhere, it's it just, it makes me wary, like when someone else approaches me, like, oh, we should, you know, try to get to a film project or something. It's like, yeah, right. um, <laughs> possibly. And like here, you know, remember here TV? Um, I don't even know if they exist anymore. H-E-R-E TV. Yeah, they're still around. They are still around. Okay. I know Logo's still around. Yeah, they actually contacted me directly about possibly doing something. And uh, at that point, yeah, it just it just didn't really happen. Because I, I think, I don't know, with them, that was the case where the guy who was representing me in California met with them, and it just it didn't go to anything. I just I don't think, I'm not sure, but I don't think they really had the budget to really do a production. That's what I think it came down to, but... Um, I may be wrong on that. I'm not probably. Sure. I kind of know one of the guys in charge of production now, and I think they were, especially back in the day, they didn't have a lot. They're starting to get back up into more original programming now, but it's mostly specials and stuff and not series or anything like that. So that sounds yeah. about right yeah. for them. I, yeah. I think it just didn't really, I mean, if that's, if that probably is what it was. So I don't know. I mean, again, I, I would love to see something happen because I write it very cinematically. I mean, it's like, it's and it's perfect. I mean, that's what someone told me at the time. The way that it's set, like in this one setting in a bed and breakfast, where it's like, you know, there's not all these location shoots you'd have to do. It's very much focused in this one area, so that makes it easier to film. And um, you know, it, it's it's like kind of written like in a series, so it would go very well as like a either a ongoing TV Definitely. series. Definitely, I get so, so many um, people. I get a lot of great actors and directors who to do web series anymore. It'd be a perfect web series because you don't have right. as big a budget or anything and the characters yeah. are so well thought out i think it'd be a great option that'd be fantastic actually but, yeah uh, yeah and so i'm open to it so we'll see what happens you know <laughs> nice. again anything that's like takes me away that that was the problem with it It was always like i'd be expending all this energy and it's like i need to be working on the comics i can't <laughs> so so you know, hopefully if someone comes along next time, like they'll be just, you know, yeah, let's do it and let's get it off the ground and go with it. And that'll be fine with me if it's, you know, if it's the right, uh, <laughs> if it's the right situation. Yeah. Well, like you said, the comic comes out every two weeks. We're running out of time here. Today is another debut. Please tell yeah, all my today's... listeners where they can find the work and tell them where they can find uh, your website and follow you on social media if they care to. Sure. Um, well, first of all, all the books are available on Amazon.com. You just like go to put in Kyle's Bed and Breakfast or in my name, Greg Fox, and all there's five five collections plus the book of figure drawings. Um, they're all available through Amazon very easily. And then you can read the episodes online at my website, which is KyleComics.com. That's a K-Y-L-E-C-O-M-I-C-S.com. Um, you can follow me on Facebook. Facebook is really the page where I've focused most of, most, most of my social media energy, but also I'm on Instagram and Twitter also. Instagram is Kyle's B&B, K-Y-L-E-S-B-N-B, and Twitter is Kyle Comics. Um, uh, let's see. That's that's pretty much it. I think I covered all the bases there. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, thanks so much for coming on the show. Is there anything else you have to share you want to get off your chest here before we wrap things up? 
Oh, no, but thank you so much, Scott. I just want to say thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it, and um, thank you for all of your you know, interest in the comic strip and, and your research and <laughs> into my background. That's very cool that you know all the you know stuff I've been doing and what I've been through. That's really nice to talk to someone who is you know, well-versed and educated on what I've done. Well, thank you, my friend. I appreciate you coming on. And for listeners out there, our monthly swag bag, we're going to have Greg do a little something for that. Uh, a big shout-out again to Tony Guadagnino who put us together. Really appreciate it. We're going to have to have you back for sure. Stay on the line for me, um, Greg. We're going to go ahead and take a break. When we come back, I'm going to have my interview uh, with, our, with our good friend. And uh, I have to admit that it is a pre-taped interview with Craig Hurley. We did it uh, last week when I talked to his beautiful fiance, Miss Katie Barberi. But uh, we're going to play a little Damien Escobar. This is Freedom. When we come back, it's going to be my interview with the amazing actor, writer, uh, Craig Hurley, who actually has two of his own graphic novels, Daylight Sucks and uh, Altered State of the Union. You're listening to Left and Straight Show right here on Blog Talk Radio.
All righty, we are back. That was Damien Escobar with Freedom. I'm so excited to be talking to my next guest. Amazing actor and writer in his own right, who, as we said, started out in Chicago, graduating from Chicago Academy of Performing Arts before heading out to California and graduating to the American Academy of Dramatic Arts in Pasadena, which happens to be one of my favorite cities in the world. He's done it all in the entertainment industry, including being the president of his own production company. You may have seen him recently on television on a recent episode of Chicago PD. Please welcome back to the show, Mr. Craig Hurley. Craig, how you doing, my friend? Good. How are you, sir? I am doing very good. I am uh, underneath my blankie and having a nice interview with you. But this whole cold thing's not new to you, this Vortex stuff. You were born there. Um, what's it oh, like no, this coming is, back to this, this cold? Isn't, yeah, <laughs> this isn't anything close to winter of 79. I, we had, <laughs> in 79, we had like an 81-degree wind chill, 81 degrees below zero wind chill. And I oh remember, like, nobody's cars starting and people being trapped in their houses. And I remember a lot of that. We've, we've uh, at least, you know, technology over the past, what, 30, 40 years has, has gotten to the point where right. we can actually function in times like this. So there's been actually very few deaths as far as I can see. And a, a lot of people are actually helping out. Uh, homeless population, they're renting uh, hotel rooms for them and stuff like that. So uh, Chicagoans specifically are really looking out for each other. I'm not sure about the the rest of the country right here. I know everybody's everybody's suffering in one way or another because of this cold. Right, right. But yeah, we're, we're really looking out for each other and trying to make sure that yeah, we're in contact. Like I'm in contact with just friends of mine, and and being like, okay, you guys all right? And they're like, yeah, our battery started, you know, our car started, or whatever it is, or our heaters are working. So, and I know my parents' furnace went out for like five hours or something. So they were cold oh, no. for a little bit, worried about the pipes. Um, and uh, yeah, I I I I. I've always been interested in weather, so it's interesting that you're starting this, even though weather's not really, well, it is a, a topic. Uh, climate change is definitely a topic. It, sure. I, I went to, I, I'm, I attended Penn State online, which is the number one meteorolo- uh, meteorology uh, school in uh, virtually the world. Um, they, I know it is in the United States. I, I'm sure there's some places in Europe that are, either the equivalent or better um, because they, uh, a lot of the graduates and a lot of the um, teachers, the professors at Penn state are currently working for the national weather service. And like my professor wow. in the, in the courses I took uh, two of my professors, um, you can see their names on the computer uh, graphs that come out on a daily basis. And from the National Weather Service, because they're the ones setting up and, and initializing those graphs. Um, and it's, it, I, I've always been interested in this, and um, people don't seem to understand the difference between weather and climate. Um, there is Amen. A, yeah. a tremendous difference. 
Um, weather is what happens right now. We are currently dealing with minus 55 degrees below zero wind chills in Chicago. That is weather. Climate is what happens over an annual basis, is what, is what happens over a year's period of time. We take all of the events, all of the weather events that happen, and put them all together and figure it out over a year how it has changed other years and what those causes are. And it seems right now that humans are a big part of causing our weather, which happens on a daily basis, um, to, to become more dramatic, to become more intensified. And we're definitely experiencing that in Chicago currently. So uh, that's the difference between weather and climate. And there's a, there's a lot of, I, I don't know what else to, uh, ignorance is hard to, to tell them that they are ignorant because they take ignorance as, right. as like an insult. And ignorance really means that you just haven't been educated the correct way. In, in, and right. nobody ever taught you right. what, you know, what the actual definitions of things are, such as climate, which happens over a year period of time, and weather, which happens today. So, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, been, it's been really difficult for me in the past couple of years, especially, um, with people that are denying that we have a problem. And uh, we definitely have a friggin' problem um, within the within the past hundred years, the industrial age alone, there are so many documented cases of pollution that we have caused that has caused our own demise or has caused the ecological demise of the area that we impacted without our factories or without our wastewater these areas would have survived and been and flourished where we have destroyed them. And we need to pay attention to that because that's how we actually survive is the water and the air that is on this little rock that we all inhabit. So, you know, we really need to get together on this and it's pretty simple definitions. It's, it's just basics. I'm sorry, I didn't go. mean to ramble Thank about Thank you for that. Weather. No, I appreciate that. And that's why when we talked last time, I said the same thing. I need to bring you onto my Standing on My Soapbox advocacy and political show because you you are so concise and so well, uh, so able to communicate it so well. And that's kind of what I love. I mean, you're a trained actor first, and we'll talk about that in a bit. But I really wanted to get into your writing because I love your point of view and the advocacy like this you use in your writing. I mean, starting with the first thing I came across of yours, you're 27 and all washed up. Uh, that was an amazing group of stories from people in your life that I think is a must read for any up and coming actor. Which, but as which, an auteur which of copy, industry, which, I, which edit that? of 27 do you have? Because I'm, I'm in the I process have, of I have creating another edit. When I had edit. you on last time, 
I, I bought the Kindle of it. So it was probably the version from two thousand I think I had it in two thousand seventeen the last time you were wow, on. Wow, that one's still yeah, that one's pretty graphic. Um I I was when I did the interview because we did a I had a, a friend of mine that I was in a play with. I was doing uh, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest playing Billy Bibbit, and which is my favorite play ever. It was so much fun. But that was in, like, 2006. Nice. And I had one of the cast members was following me around uh, on a daily basis and during rehearsals and whatever, and even when we would go out. And he he would be like, Okay, tell us what it was like to beat up Luke Perry on 90210. And I would <laughs> tell them the story of beating up Luke Perry on 90210. And then inevitably there's 18 cast members of that of that uh cast of the cast of Cuckoo's Nest, and inevitably there would be 18 people listening to the story and and then all commenting in one way or another some of these people will never be able to live something like that. And some of them will. Right. It depends on where they go with their careers. But but majority of them won't be able to ever live anything like that. This is the closest that they'll get to something like that. And my friend Zach kept following me around, and he's like, dude, you have to write a book. And I'm like, no, I'm, <laughs> I'm not writing a book. That's, that's crazy. And, and I know what it would take, and I'm not doing it. And and then he finally was like, um, dude, you know, it was like we were into we were into the play at this point and into the run of it. And and he's like, you know, no book and then no book deal and then no book tour. And I was just like, oh, come on. All right, fine. I'll write a book. <laughs> and he said he'd interview me and he would ask me questions off of my resume and then um, and we could record it and. We did this at a restaurant um, after rehearsals and after the play. Um, and, uh, and then for months afterwards, we, we got together and uh, did it at uh, Gino's East or Gino's West pizza joint. Um, um, but uh, Zach, uh, Zach Wilson is his name, sorry. Um, Zach Wilson uh, would meet me at the restaurant and we would do the interviews and then I put them all on tape and things that, and then I went and transposed them later onto computer. Um, and this is when we didn't really have, you know, like audiobooks or any of that. It, it, right, didn't, right. it wasn't there yet. Um, now I'm actually doing an audiobook with Zach Wilson coming up here as soon as I get this edit together because I'm, it, the, the edit that you read and then, oh, there's a lot of copies of that out there. Um, is a very graphic. I was drunk. Um, there's some. <laughs> there's some sexism in there. There's some misogyny in there. It's straightforward. There, I'll put it that way. Straightforward. For yeah. Sure. <laughs> there's some arrogance in there that doesn't necessarily need to be there. And I more or less want to create at this point. The edit that I'm creating is a is more of a, a text. It's more of a, I want the people, the kids, the 12-year-olds through 18-year-olds at the Chicago Academy for the Arts, which I'm a graduate of, but the current ones, I want them to be able to read it. And I want their parents to be able to read it as well and not, you know, offend their delicate sensibilities. So, <laughs> right. I, you know, where there's, there's a lot of people out there that can handle what I said 
But I, I'd rather it be something that actual kids can can pick it up and go, wow, this this story, you know, this person dealt with this person, and these are these people, and you know, there's, a, there's an awful lot of celebrities in this book. So um, right. that's what I'm trying to create now, and that's the audiobook coming up here that Zach Wilson and I will be doing together as well. So. That's yeah, twenty seven. We'll talk about for a second just one of the stories. I mean, I'm a Trekkie here, and I love how you talk about your experience of being the set of Star Trek there. I'm sure you got a lot of response to that. But talk about just that cast compared to the cast. Now we have Discovery out now as a Trekkie nerd here, and you have right. so much different no, like actors the, these sorry, days because like, you have, like – I like the Orville. Go ahead. I like the Orville, and I know it's not a Gene Roddenberry thing, but I, dude, it is more—it is more like Star Trek than not, and it and is, yeah. and and it's funny, man, and, and it's really funny, and they take on issues that we're dealing with on on this planet, and they take them out into space, and they deal with them in space. Right. So I think it's I, I think it's really cool, and uh, of course Scott Grimes. Uh, is on that show. Scott and I and Katie have known each other for freaking ever. I mean, I, I knew Scott oh, when awesome. when I was when he was like fourteen, fifteen. So wow, before Party cool. of Five and all that. Well, it's love. Yeah. And like I said, I I love your advocacy. I liked it how actors are getting that just on the new Discovery. You got um, Wilson Cruz that goes for people of color. Anthony Rapp right. for sexual misconduct. Right. You got Sonequa Martin-Green for women empowerment. It's just a whole yep. different crop of actors than the actors we talked about in the old Star Trek. And just there's in general these days are actually starting to get a little, um, for lack of a better word, woke, such as yourself are. And it's nice oh, well, to see wait, wait, the wait, dual, it's, dual it's always been that way. Uh, you know, Shakespeare's time, no dogs or actors allowed, dude. We weren't allowed into bars. <laughs> we weren't allowed into restaurants. We've, it's, and we're called actors because we're activists. That's where the word comes right. from. That's true. We get up there That's and true. we act out the things that people are too afraid to talk about just in their normal lives or too afraid to confront. And, and in, in just in general, like people are really afraid to confront kings and queens and presidents. And, you know, they're all afraid to confront that shit. That's what we do. Excuse my language. But that's what, right. that's what we do. You know, is we we're activists. We we step up and we say things that aren't necessarily appropriate, but we're saying them at you know inappropriate times, and that's when they make the most amount of impact. Well said. I I, I checked to that, and you're right. Um, let's move on. You know, I, I just it, you know, to... kind of kind of along ahead. the lines with with Katie's play. I know you guys just talked about that. Um, the Abuelas is, is uh, about, I, I remember hearing about this in the late eighties. All right. I remember hearing that they were in Argentina attacking artists. I didn't quite get it. I'm an artist. You know, I, I, I didn't quite understand what was happening down there. And then, now I do understand. I've seen the play. I've read the play and, and it's a, it's about artists that were, activists that were standing up against the local regime and or the current regime and and they were being taken they were being put into concentration camps they were being killed 
they were their babies were being taken away from them, and then their babies were being raised as as supporters of the regime. Where you, it's like some type of really bad science experiment. You can't do that shit. You're trying to create a, a, a superior race in some way by using right. the artists who are, will always, 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 always. We will always get in your face. Always. It doesn't matter how we were raised. My parents are Republican, and I am not. I'm, I'm not a Republican, nor <laughs> am I a Democrat. So I'm, I'm, not, I'm not on either side. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm somewhere in the middle. I, I feel that at this point, uh, uh, Republicans have, or the GOP for that matter, has gotten too authoritarian, and the Democrats have been way too weak in the past. And they're kind of now stepping up, but it's, it's feeling like a little too little too late. You've got to all do this at the same time, and you can't do it one at a time. It's got to be a collective. I'm, I'm right in the middle, right. and, and I'm, I'm feeling like they really need to you know, figure this out between themselves and stop really involving us before we the people actually react, because we do have the control here. So I don't know why I went off on this tangent. I did go off on a tangent. No, I, I, I like. No well, we're talking why. about advocacy, and it, it's a great yeah. segue into. Actors. Yeah, exactly. And it's a great segue, and I want to talk a little bit more about the graphic Overplay, novel the and artist uh, being attacked. I'm sorry, don't mean to yeah, cut you off. Exactly. No. Well, I'm, bring that into it. I want to talk about the Alan Wicks. I want to talk about this fantastic uh, graphic novel that you and Katie worked on together, and you've just been spearheading this thing. Um, amazing, uh, when I was, amazing book. Talk, and their advocacy is for everybody. I mean, they cover yeah. the planet. They cover animals. They cover LGBT. It just shows where this activism comes from. Talk about that series a bit again. I came, uh, I came up with Daylight Sucks, actually, when I was a kid. Um, I, I seriously was like, I don't know, 10, 11 years old. And, and I was being bullied. And, and I was like, why can't there be a vampire who comes and takes out the douchebags in the world? And, <laughs> and it, you know, it, it's not necessarily, they don't have to kill them, but they have to, you know, teach them a lesson. So in order to make them not bully any longer. And that's why when when I started writing Daylight Sucks, um, uh, and this happened a little while ago. Um, uh, well, I actually was in a writer's boot camp in Los Angeles in 1990, whatever the hell. And I was, and I came up with the the idea then. Um, and then I had to leave the writer's boot camp, so I couldn't continue with the idea. And it just got put aside until we were in Miami or until, yeah, I was in Miami with Katie and she was filming Every Which Way. And it was like the third season of Every Which Way. And I sat back and I was like, okay, I I really like all of these actors here. And I think that they would be really good in my cast as well. And I started, well, Really, I was sitting there watching. Uh, I was flipping through the tube. I was sitting in, in the hotel room and waiting for Katie. She was on the set. And I was flipping through the tube. And on um, uh, Univision or Azteca TV, 
uh, came on Chicas Vampiros. And I'm like, what kind <laughs> of crap is this that I'm watching? And it was women vampires. And it, and, and it looked like somebody had, had gone to the Halloween spirit store and picked out a Halloween mask, put it on film, and then said, here, just do this. And then they all edited it together and, and threw it on the air. And I'm like, somebody gave these people anywhere from $3 million to $10 million to put this crap on the air. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, somebody's going to give me $3 million or $10 million to put my crap on the air because my crap's better. So I started sitting go. down and I turned to Katie and I'm like, I'm going to just redo Twilight because it seems like that's all the novellas are. I'm just going to redo Twilight. And then, um, and then uh, I'm going to have you transpose it for me and make it Spanish so that we can make it our own novella. And then somebody will buy my shit and buy my project. And, um, and she's like, I hate you. I hate uh, the horror genre. I hate the fact that you're doing this. We do not copy everybody <laughs> else's good stuff and, and make it our own and put it on the air. And I'm like, I'm, this is what I'm doing. So I actually went over to Best Buy and bought a copy of Twilight and put it in the DVD player and was sitting there watching Twilight and writing Daylight Sucks um, the whole time. And Katie kept walking by me and she'd see Twilight on the air and she'd be like, oh, I'm so disgusted with you. And because she thought I was just copying Twilight. Well, Daylight Sucks is actually set up to debunk all of the myths when it comes to vampires such as glowing in the sun, such as eating garlic, such as crosses, <laughs> such as burying a stake into an undead heart. Get a clue. These are, there is no way scientifically that anything is going to be affected by this. And that's the way I'm debunking all of these myths. Vampires came about in the first place because it was an old wives' tale, or garlic came about, that it would fend off vampires. Because, you, because it's about things that bite. It, it fends off mosquitoes and fleas. It doesn't fend off a vampire. A vampire needs to eat you, so, you know, in order to survive. So it's, I've got all of the scientific stuff that I am applying to it and debunking any of the myths that have gone throughout. Every single vampire story has all these myths. And, and the Alan Wicks, which... If you look up all of the, the majority of the vampires in this, um, were human at one point and were accused of being vampires in some way and, or undead. And I, um, the, the Alan Wicks have all been, if you look at their pasts, have all been, and we've done complete uh, character descriptions of all of these people, but in the past, in their, in their real lives, um, when they were human, they were all not only accused of being vampires, but they were also advocates in some way for the things that they are now advocates for. Um, uh, like um, uh, James was a prince in, uh, in, Tur in Romania, sorry, and he is was a non-territory prince like he didn't want any borders he tried to make his country free at that point with no borders no counties no no walls no nothing like that and and he was actually killed because of his because he's trying to do good and then as a vampire he is also 
no borders. So, and I thought of this shit when I was a kid, and now it's applying to our border wall on the Mexican border. And we wrote exactly. this stuff up three years ago, way before, way before any of this stuff was talked about or became, you know, a big deal. And, um, you know, when the border in the past was either non-existent, the border wall was either non-existent or a chain link fence with holes in it. So, you know, there's, there's many, many, many areas of our border, of our southern border especially, that well, our northern border too. Our border has no wall at all. But the southern border, you know, there's so many areas that do not have a wall, do not have a fence. It's a river or a mountain range or a desert that you have to cross to get over to here. And lately, I'm not sure why they want to come here in the first place. This place is really kind of <laughs> getting there as far as sucking is concerned. Um, but anyway, the Allen Wicks all have their own their own uh, um, cause. Um, right. Uh, Madison Allenwick, who is, uh, we also um, uh, signed licensing agreements with uh, 22 different actors, um, some of which are uh, telenovela stars, some of which you've seen on Nickelodeon. Uh, Paris Smith plays uh, Madison Allenwick, or at least we draw her in her image. Um, that's what our, our licensing agreement is for, for the comic book or for the graphic novel at this point. Um, the, uh, she is women's rights. Madison Allenwick is women's rights. And we, we take all of our stories, and none of them are fake. They're all, they're all fact-based um, because uh, there's enough fake crap now. Um, they're all fact-based. There, there's enough really bad things that humans do to each other that we can use the facts. We just change the names. And right. um, every single story in, in Daylight Sucks really happened to somebody. So we just solve it in a different way. We solve, solve it Alan Wick style. Um, it, it, and they believe that, that humans can be uh, uh, rehabilitated as well. So depending on your level of victimization on what you did to somebody else is depending on the level of punishment. So like there's um, uh, Ashley Allenwick, who is drawn in the image of, um, well, she's changed her name, uh, Autumn, uh, Autumn Wendell, but Cat, Cat Wendell? Cat Wendell. Um, and Cat uh, uh, has, uh, she is an animal activist. And um, she is, like, she gets a, a, she finds this guy who's abusing a dog. And the dog is chained up and malnourished and, and needs water and has, has a chain going through its neck. And the chain is actually scarring and, and cutting into the neck because it's so tight. And she takes him and puts him into the middle of the Everglades because all this shit happens in Miami. And she, that's another thing. Vampires in Miami. How does that work? Um, but, uh, uh, the, she takes him out into the Everglades and chains him to a palm tree naked and leaves him there and says, good luck. And then comes back and visits him every once in a while, offering him different things. Um, uh, makeshift, makeshift shelter, 
uh, garlic for the mosquitoes, um, just different things, uh, a, a bottle of water because he is having a hard time. Even though it rains every single day, he still is having a hard time <laughs> eating and drinking. Right. And it ends up that he is eating bugs and eating, you know, lizards and anything that he can possibly catch. So depending on if he survives it, is depending on whether or not he's actually gotten rehabilitated and can get let back into society. So, um, and uh, Max Allenwick, Max Allenwick is another character, um, and he's played by or drawn by, uh, 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 I'm sorry, drawn of uh, Rahard Adams. Wow, I can't believe I'm, I'm having a hard time thinking of these people's names today for some reason. Uh, maybe the cold. Um, but uh, Rahard Adams, who was just in uh, Pacific Rim, and uh, or the second one, what, what, yeah, uh, Pacific Rim Uprising, and um, he's got a he's an Australian actor, and he's got a really nice career over in Australia right now. He just got done with Nowhere Boys, um, but um, uh, Rahart is Max, and he is uh, pro LGBTQIA plus. And we actually have in the, uh, is that the second or the third issue? Um, Max is on Washington in uh, South Beach and at a club. And he saves a transgender individual who's about to get get beat up by two um, uh, homophobic rednecks. So, and, and once again, I wrote all this stuff uh, three, four years ago, I wrote it down for, you know, to set up the storyboard and all this for, for the graphic novel. And, and all of these events are, are, you know, are, are just, just like today or yesterday, uh, Jesse Smollett. So here in Chicago, exactly, he yeah. just got beat up by two homophobic freaks that, you know, are, are really not paying attention to the way things are actually going. So I'm, that's why I, I wrote these things because, you know, Max Alvick, he kills both of those dudes. He kills both of the, the, the homophobic, homophobic regnecks that come to beat up this transgender. And that, that's just, that's what they do. They can't be rehabilitated. So obviously, you know, and we have these events happening right now. And, and it's right. just, you know, I'm I'm trying to think. Ava Allenwick, who is the actual leader of the um, of the clan, um, she designed this clan. Ava is the oldest vampire on the planet. Um, she was actually born a vampire, and she created this clan of vampires around her so that they would all be helping the planet instead of destroying the planet. And um, uh, yeah, we've, we, uh, she does all children's rights and she's mainly for kids. So, you know, kids in cages right now, dude, she'd be friggin' furious. Um, oh, yeah. she'd be going absolutely nuts. So, uh, uh, we've, uh, we've done a, a digital version of Daylight Sucks. Uh, I said before that I wanted to keep it practical. I wanted to keep it a book and just the same with 27, uh, 27 all washed up. I did the, I did the digital version of that as well. 
um, and I'm currently doing the digital version of the, the re-edit. But the digital version of, of Daylight Sucks is available on Amazon or Google Play, actually. We got it on Google Play, so you can just take your phone. Yeah, I mean, I love it. I like that it's available to a wider audience now. I saw it's available on the Kindle. You lose, I mean, I ordered the original graphic novels. I love the feel of a graphic novel. I've been a comic geek forever, so I love the feel of them. But I like that it's available for the mass audience now in the digital. Um, do you see other installments coming up down the line? Um, I'm working on the, we, we only have issue one that's available right now digitally. Um, I will have digital two and digital, I mean, uh, issue two and issue three available digital soon. We have a lot on our plate. I haven't even talked about, you know, what I've been, what I've been doing here in Chicago, uh, over the past year and a half. Uh, Katie's been concentrating mainly on theater Yes, she has. She is the only one that booked a voiceover role as well for Allstate, uh, a voiceover commercial. Um, normally, I I can book you know voiceovers. Uh, that's one of the things that I do. Um, and it's just been over the past year, I've been concentrating on on camera, and she's been concentrating on theater. So um, I booked uh, uh, two internet commercials, uh, one for Venom. Uh, Venom gloves. They're uh, they're uh, a, a contractor's glove that's made out of a specific type of rubber that doesn't. It's tear resistant and puncture resistant, so it helps them out. You know, as far as not getting their gloves falling apart when they're doing construction. And uh, and then I did um, uh, for uh, CRW or CDW. Shit, CDW. Um, CDW is a tech company and i did a commercial an internet commercial for them as well and then uh i did a episode of chicago pd and which was really really exciting um i haven't worked for dick wolf in 30 years so it was a goal of mine to get on one of his productions again i loved working with him i loved working 30 years ago as well as this time uh, i absolutely their their cast and crew has always been amazing uh the the people that work on those those gigs are are just absolutely amazing um and That's awesome uh yeah my my director on this one was mckelty williamson and mckelty is bubba gump from Forrest Gump. So, he's, yeah, really? Him, there wouldn't have been any, cool. Yeah, there wouldn't have been any shrimp boats or nothing for Gary Sinise or <laughs> Tom Hanks. Um, yeah, uh, uh, that, I, I, I don't get starstruck. I've, I've, I've worked and known too many people that are celebrities and stars. And, right. I, you know, so, and, and I, I really can't. Um, but uh, you know, it, 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 it blows my mind every single time that I see somebody like that and, and I'm like, wow, I'm, I'm working with them or I'm, you know, talking with them or I'm partying with them or whatever. But I, I still, I, I don't get that way. I don't get really quiet or anything. I just, I'm there to do the job and yeah, he's Bubba Gump, but you know, you got to get through that quick because he's telling you what you need to do in the scene. So, you know, it's, it, it's, uh, it, it was awesome. definitely an honor, you know, and, and it, and it, and it trips me out sometimes. Cause like, 
you know, on Nasty Boys, the the show I did with um, Dick Wolf 30 years ago, which would actually work better now. It's about um, a group of cops in Vegas that really existed that violate criminal civil rights. So it would have it, it would work so much better now. Um, but it, right. um, you know that was with Dennis Franz. So I've and and Benjamin Bratt. You know, and I, I, there were so many people on that. I mean, even Michael Pollard, Michael J. Pollard was on that. There were so many people that were Cuba Gooding Jr. did his first guest starring role on Nasty Boys. So I, I've I've dealt with so many people like that. You know, I mean, these are Oscar award winning and Emmy award winning and just monsters in this career. And I I feel you know that you, you can't. You, you can't really get that way. You can't really get starstruck when you're you're being you're right next to these people on a daily basis. So it was right. really really an honor and really a lot of fun to be work, working with McKelty um, uh, Williamson and to be back on a, a Dick Wolf set was just a friggin' blast. Absolutely a blast. To see you back in front of the camera again because I do love that. I've watched a lot of your other stuff. I do want to circle back to books one more time because, being the political junkie that I am, I of course had to read and download Altered States of the Union. Um, Did speaking you? of prescience and sorcerer, it's like you said, like you said, with uh, um, Daylight Sucks, this book was came out in June, and a lot of this stuff hasn't even happened. <laughs> hasn't even happened until tapping like that. Currently yeah. on this, I don't yeah, know how he, you do this. He didn't. He didn't. But we're talking Sears and things yeah, like that I, that you're talking I about back then. It, huh? If not, you are amazing. But talk about this book. <laughs> I love it. Um, you like Alfred Payne? Huh? I do. I'm a political and I think junkie, and I think it's really interesting like that. that that he and Pelosi are going at it right now over his state of the union. Dude, what can your state of the union be right now? Um, everything's a little chaotic. <laughs> thanks very much. No, what could your state of the union be? And so I, and I called it altered state of the union a while ago. And I had this idea actually, uh, it was about a year ago or maybe a little more that I, that I came up with altered state of the union and, and the story behind it. And then I, I just quickly wrote it up, and it, it's not even something that is – it's meant to be a short story. It's not – I mean, I've had people read it that have said to me, dude, I, I want to know more about the Korean family. I want to know more about the Korean kid and, and the Korean wife. What happened? You know, and, exactly. and they want to know uh, different things. Um, yeah, that's also available on, on Amazon too. I should get that over to Google Play. And I should do an audio book of that because it's short. So I'll you should that because it is, it's a lot of fun. Like there's so many places to go uh, to Colorado. To I love the sciency fun sciency background with the super collider and everything. Um, right. It's just a lot of fun and so relevant to today. Obviously, you had a lot of backstory that was really happening. But again. You were ahead of your time on some of it. It was it was amazing. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, he didn't he didn't mention Space Force, and then when he did, I lost it. I, I like because I had already released <laughs> I had already released Altered State, and and I'm like the dude said Space Force. I'm like, is he reading my stuff? What's happening? Because I was like that I, that tripped me out. I was like Space Force, dude. That was a TV show in the 1950s. Where what is, uh, that's where I came up with it. What the hell, you know? So. 
I think it's really interesting that that yeah, a lot of the stuff that I'm writing it does apply. It, 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 you know, and it's you stuff that I wrote in the past. It, you know, <laughs> I am a sorcerer. I, <laughs> I don't know. Well, I love I it. I appreciate it. I'm looking forward to all this new stuff going on. Are you having fun? I mean, Katie's been there now a couple times. You grew up there. Are you having fun being tour guide, or have you guys been there a lot in the past? Are you having fun checking out all the old haunts of Chicago? Um, you left pretty young, right? You left right, right after college, I thought. Yeah, no, I left before college. I left when I was 18, but I was raised in the Chicagoland area. I was I was born in Champaign, actually, downstate, and then where U of I is. And then I we moved up here, or my family moved up here when I was a year old. So I don't remember much of Champaign, and um, it was always about the west side of Chicago and and Chicago itself. I, I When I was a kid, I used to jump on the train and just head downtown and hang out. And I'm talking like when I was six. Uh, my parents had no idea. We had, they had their offices <laughs> literally right next, right next to the train station, so I was just jumping on the train. Um, and, it, uh, yeah, I, I love Chicago. Uh, I've always loved the actors that have been here. I've always loved the theater that's, that's here. Um, we, uh, Katie absolutely adores Chicago. Uh, there's, um, I see a little bit lately of a lot of actors and just people in general kind of writing and, and, uh, playing or, or portraying their characters for TV and movies. And that's a lot of technique acting that's going on and not so much method. Um, but with the Abuelas, she, she's changing my mind. And also with, uh, with the Goodman cast and, and the, the cast that she did when she did Love Lost and What I Wore at the Oil Lamp, um, that cast, all, they all had to step up. Everybody has to step up and do method acting because Katie's a combination of that. She's a combination of technical and method. So when she slips into method, right. you've got to keep up. Um, and <laughs> and it's, it's tough. So that's, that's what I see happening in Chicago right now, which isn't good or isn't bad. Um, it's just a thing. And uh, I prefer to go along, you know, more of a method style where I'm actually living on stage moment to moment. And regardless of what right. mistakes happen, because mistakes happen in real life all the time. And you have to just deal with them and you move on that to the next moment. So, um, but yeah, we, we adore Chicago. Um, it, it seems like there is more work here now. So that's a good thing as well. Um, there's a lot more people that are coming here and filming and that's good. Um, they need to use uh, all the Chicago actors that they can. So, uh, and Rahm Emanuel, even though he's, I think he's stepping down now as, as mayor, um, he was really good for the entertainment business to come back here. His, his brother is, uh, is Ari Emanuel from, he's a, the agent from, uh, from frickin' Entourage. So that's, you know, oh, Ari, gotcha. is, okay. is Ari Emanuel. And so, you know, that was just, that, that just totally made sense, uh, you know, to, to both of them as far as getting production to work in Chicago and also giving incentives to the producers in order to get them to want to come to Chicago. So that's something that Miami, you know, Florida is not doing. 
the majority of the Southeast is not giving incentives for the entertainment business to come down and, and shoot. That's why they're, except for places like Atlanta itself. Um, but even Atlanta is starting to fall apart now as far as that's concerned, because right. they're the only ones that are accepting or giving incentives. It's not like the entire state of Georgia is doing it. It's just the one place. So, you know, if, if it would be broadened out more and they give more incentives, then they'd have the entertainment business and they'd have the tourism, they would have the tax money, all of the stuff that comes with it. There's a whole bunch of perks. The jobs, so literally thousands of jobs that, are, that Dick Wolf himself is giving to the city of Chicago right now. So right. on, on a daily basis, thousands. So. Well, Craig Hurley, thanks so much for coming back on the Left of Straight Show. Remind everyone the titles of the books, where they can find them on Amazon, and where they can follow you on social as well. Uh, let's see. Uh, yeah, Daylight Sucks on Amazon, Altered State. Um, Altered State of the Union is on Amazon, and uh, Daylight Sucks is also available on Google Play. 27 and All Washed Up, not available right this second. Because except for you can read your version, um, but uh, <laughs> but yeah, I don't I, I don't have it available yet, but it will be soon. The edited version of it will be available, and um, uh, you can follow me on Twitter, uh, Scrappy Co Prod, and uh, Craig Hurley on Instagram, Craig Hurley on Facebook. Where else am I? Daylight Sucks on Facebook, Daylight Sucks on Twitter, Daylight Sucks on Instagram. It's Daylight Sucks Comics, I think, on Instagram. Um, I think that's it. I think that's the only place you can follow Beautiful, beautiful. Well, keep me in touch with everything going on. We'll be sure to tweet it out here. Thanks for taking the time to join us. I appreciate it. Yeah, dude. Thanks for letting me rant. I appreciate it. Anytime. Love to have you on anytime. We'll talk politics. We'll talk whatever. Stay on the line for me, guys. We're going to play out little Casey Lansdale, Living in the Moment. This is the Left of Straight Show right here on Blog Talk Radio. Easy to get off track. Easy to lose your way. In a world that makes you believe there's no time to wait. That you gotta have it all, better have it all, better not slow down. Looking ahead, got me looking in circles. Life with a plan at first seems hopeful. Worry that I won't make it like I want if time keeps flying. Got a hair face, no 
Don't let it slip away. Don't let it. 